I'm on the Jesus series. How about that? You go to church and the pastor's preaching about Jesus. You know, and I want to go to Matthew chapter 16 and uh, look at what he posed to his followers. He asked a question. You know, Jesus often leads with questions. He, and, and people try to corner him and he would answer with a question. He was brilliant and uh, is brilliant. And you follow him and follow his patterns, you'll have an interesting life uh, and you won't get entrapped. Uh, you won't get snared by the words of your mouth. This is designed to feed your faith and fuel your spirit and encourage you and um, get us focusing on the most wonderful and unique being that has ever been or ever will be. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He said, he's the alpha and the omega. He said, who could forgive sins but God only? And Jesus came and he forgave sins. Jesus attested uh, to who the father was and God attested to who Jesus was with signs and wonders following. I believe in a miracle working God. I literally believe the Red Sea parted. I, I literally believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And uh, I, want to, I, I want to tell you that Jesus radically changed my life. I was raised in Southern California. I, grew, I was born in San Francisco one year after Steve Jobs was born there. And in a very close proximity, he got adopted. I got adopted by my stepdad. We had different paths, but God ended up bringing me down into Southern California. I got to, my youth was immersed in the counterculture world. My dad worked for aerospace and for the defense industry, so he was helping with that. Then there were all the anti-war demonstrations. There were soldiers everywhere. I remember MPs going through my backyard when I, one of the young uh, soldiers went AWOL and they were trying to catch him. And I remember visiting uh, uh, submarines at the, uh, the, the San Diego Harbor. I remember every week seeing people leaving and being deployed and people coming back on the black and white TV. I remember the Watts riots. I remember uh, riots in my own high school over ethnicity, uh, the Hispanic kids and the Caucasian white kids and all that stuff, stupidity. Uh, two weeks of school was canceled. I remember that teacher selling LSD to the student body. I remember, well, I remember when Madeline Marie O'Hare got up and said, we don't want prayer in schools. I remember when JFK was shot. I know exactly where I was sitting in the house when it happened. And like many of you, we've been through a lot of things, storms in life, challenges. The very building you're in, once we got in it, it flooded with over 10 feet of water. None of us are spared the challenges because this is a fallen world. And today, as I preach about Jesus, we're going to center mainly on Romans chapter 5 and show the contrast between Adam, the first human being, and his disobedience and ensuing failure and the result of sin and death. And we're going to look at the last Adam, and that's Jesus. And we're going to look at how his work uh, more than adequately, more than sufficiently, super abundantly uh, supersedes the, the, the fall and all of its consequences. Hey, I, I reckon the reason this place is jammed and your hearts are here and you're receptive and open is because you've reached this conclusion that Jesus is the best way to live. He's the best course of action to take. He's the most wonderful, central. And to love him and to know him, John 17, 3 Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
So I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And that appeals to me. And when I was a lost, secular, counterculture kid, and I encountered wide-awake, genuine Christians, uh, they were explaining to me that they actually knew Jesus. They were speaking in terms of a relationship. They were speaking beyond just uh, the rhetoric of religious tradition and formalism. They had had an encounter with God, and they weren't giddy, and they weren't superficial, and they weren't particularly excitable because they had already been through all that with the drug, sex, and rock and roll. They were, they were stabilized rather than overly hype, you know, and there were cults around, uh, but, but I could see the distinction and the difference of the stabilizing power of this chief cornerstone, Jesus, who comes in on the scene in the fullness of the times. Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell and, and God talked about how the, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And so this is, in fact, what we are on the other side of. Jesus came on the fullness of the times. God promised in the Garden of Eden, I'm going to send somebody that's going to take care of the sin problem. It took 4,000 years. But God's not slow, as some count slowness. We're the church in the end times. And you would have thought Jesus would have come back during the Dark Ages or during uh, uh, the the the. World War II or one, when things were so horrendous on the earth, you would think he'd be coming back any minute. We don't know when the rapture is going to come. The rapture doesn't have any outward indicators. It is thief in the night. You don't expect it. it when people are all expecting it, it's going to, that's not when it happens. It's going to happen when it happens. And then a couple, of, a few years later, there's going to be a second coming, establishing of the kingdom on the earth, Jesus. The one that the Jews were looking for, the military, political leader, that's what the Jews were looking for, to, to, to defeat the, the, uh, in, the, the pressure of Rome, the occupied forces, oppression, the oppression of Rome. He, he said, no, I came to save people of their, from their sins. I'll come later and I'll have a throne and be established over the nations. Uh, and he's about to do that. We're, we're, about, we're in a shift. We're in a tectonic shift. We're, we're, and it, it, sometimes these things are slow like we think, but it's, God's not slow as some count slowness. Uh, it, it, and, it, and he is on the move and he is in his timetable and his timing is impeccable. His timing is always precision. He, he died in the fullness of the times and he is coming back in the fullness of the times. And so it's imperative that we focus in his holy word and answer these questions with the correct answers. And I listen to what Jesus said. We're going to go to Matthew 16, then we're going to spend a little bit of time in Romans 5. Only 21 verses in that chapter. Matthew 6, the gospel according to Matthew. In fact, Father, open our ears and eyes and hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us a willingness to apply. Correct and help and guide us, we pray, and to act. Uh, action into discipline and to renewed determination that we rightly divide your word and study to show ourselves approved unto God and as workmen who need not to be ashamed. We discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness today. We lay aside all the pettiness and all the pressure and all the distraction and we ask for your cleansing, healing, strengthening love in this body in Jesus' name. And all you online, I'm so glad you're there and I'll just give you this, Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, aren't you glad Jesus shows up? Yeah. Every place, 
he, village he went to, lives were changed. Every moment when he left, it was a different world. Jesus left a trail of, of not broken humanity, but healed humanity, lifted humanity, helped humanity. Wherever Jesus shows up, improvement occurs. He lifts people, men and women. Kids were open and responsive to him. The elderly felt like there was a new beginning for their lives. There, were, there was a lady named Anna and another man named Simeon, and they were in advancing years, and they saw Jesus dedicated in the temple, and they got a boost probably bigger than any event of their lives, even when and including their childhood. They saw it. They finally got to see the salvation of, the, of Israel and the, the Savior of the world. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, which is a gathering place where people would sit on the stones by the brook and they would talk about the news of the day and they'd talk about philosophy and, and religion and viewpoints. And he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What's the consensus? He's taken a survey. He's taken a poll. What's the general consensus out there? What, what are the, what's, what's the opinion? What's the buzz? What's... What's the, what's the majority report? And his disciples responded, and they said to him, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others think you're Elijah. Still others, maybe Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, and he said to us, and he's saying to you, but who do you say that I am? This is it. It gets down from the macro to the micro, from the general to the specific, from the population to personal. And he's saying, okay, let's get this ball rolling now. This is what everybody's saying, but what, what do you say? Simon Peter speaks up. Teacher, teacher over here, teacher. I realize John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, but I've got an answer. Got an answer. Let, me, let me tell you. Simon Peter answered. That's bravery right there. That's bravery to answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. I was listening to a, an interview between uh, podcaster Joe Rogan and, uh, and uh, conservative uh, uh, commentator Ben Shapiro, and, and he asked, uh, do you, what do you think about Jesus? And, and he said, well, he said, do you, do you think he, he said, I think he was um, a Jew that wanted to lead a revolt against Rome, and he got crucified for it, and a lot of other Jews had the same thing happen to them. He said, well, do you think he's, Joe Rogan said, do you think he's resurrected from the dead? He said, no. And um, the Bible says that he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So uh, the thing that's amazing about humanity is we all have free will. We all have choices. We all have our own uh, opinions. And that's why Jesus didn't impose. He said, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And when Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, he said a mouthful. And I've been looking at the scriptures of the prophecies concerning uh, the Messiah, and Jesus filled every one of them. 
and he didn't self-fulfill them. He couldn't. There's some of them he couldn't. Like as a child, could he say, hey, mom and dad, go to Bethlehem. I'm supposed to be born there. I know we're from Nazareth, but get on down there to Bethlehem. No, he didn't. And, and they didn't coordinate it. God did. And there is a God, and he's supernatural in his scope. And he only does wondrous things, okay? So I'm preaching this to enrich your faith. What Jesus said to Peter when he made that comment, that comment is so saturated with potency, with importance, with profound depth, it's so deep. You're the Christ, you could spend years in theological study going throughout the Bible, understanding what the Messiah is all about. A deliverer has come. There are people that have a Messiah complex. There are narcissists that have a hero complex. And there are false Christs, but he's the real one. And he came on in the scene to obey the Father, to destroy the works of the devil, and to seek and save that which is lost, to set captivity free, and to establish his church. He said, and, and listen to what he said. You're, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You got a revelation from God that's revealed knowledge. You didn't get it from study. You didn't get it from being talked into or out of from the population. As the population is all saying he's John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said, you got this by revelation. And he said, and you're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock of this revealed knowledge the Father gave to this individual. The, the, the basis of this walk of faith you have and I have is on revealed knowledge by the grace of God in the last chapter of Luke, one of the most amazing verses, it, it says that God, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I remember when God opened the eyes of my heart. I remember when faith came by hearing the how will they believe if they've never heard, Romans chapter 10. How will they believe if they've never heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? And I, I didn't, Billy Graham didn't lead me to the Lord in a crusade. Uh, it was before I went to church, a church that taught this way. Uh, a, a, a member of a church came out of nowhere and picked me up hitchhiking in, in, in 1972, November of 72, uh, fifth, almost 51 years ago. And I was hitchhiking home from my restaurant job, and he picked me up in a 1962 Impala. And boy, I wish I had that car now. The lowriders the low love that car but not as much as I do because that was the environment where I heard the gospel and I got born again. I got born again, not in a chapel or in a, in a, in a setting like that. I got led to the Lord, not by a, a, a quote, a clergy member of the ministry, but a, a, a layman who communicated the gospel. He had come from Vietnam and, and had combat and got caught up in heroin addiction and got dishonorably discharged and came home and tried Eastern religions and told me that he cheated on his wife and his wife left him and his marriage blew out and he came back to a thankless nation and he came back broken. And, and he told me Jesus changed his life. Jesus changed his life. So when they say John the Baptist or one of the prophets, like even Joe Rogan asking this uh, inter the, of the interview from Ben Shapiro, uh, oh no, we don't believe he's the son of God. We don't believe in the resurrection. And, and that, that would call, he would be a, a, a Sadducee. There, uh, there's a sect of the Jews that did not believe in resurrection. Now, 
Paul was a Pharisee, and they did believe in resurrection. So there must have been in that uh, period some Jews that believed in the supernatural and some, and, the, and some that just explained it as natural. That's what, what uh, I had heard that that was his conclusion. People have conclusions. Jesus said, you know, what are, what's the opinion of people? I, I was watching this yesterday in study. Um, a church group in Lawrence, Kansas went out in the streets and interviewed people. Who do you say Jesus is? Fascinating little 10-minute video. And um, there was, you know, a couple of kind of counterculture hippie types, and they were talking about he was the original hippie, and he came barefoot and had sandals and all this kind of stuff. And, and then some were saying, well, you know, uh, I, one guy said he was uh, 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 an embryo from the future that got planted from aliens because he knew because uh, he had all this understanding of technology. How else could he walk on water and turn water into wine and multiply food? And uh, and then there were some that, you know, there was one guy that was sitting on, a, on a, 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 like a chair in front of a business, and he had his elbow up, and he said, uh, he, he, a lot of people don't know who Jesus is. He said, he's, he's my Lord. I got tears in my eyes because I felt, wow, you know, the vagueness on some of them, but then the uh, commitment. And this guy wasn't religious. He wasn't pushy. That's why I think it moved me so much, because it came from such a, a deep conviction, a deeply held conviction. It wasn't like, well, well I think he's, you know, he wasn't trying to do apologetics or give something, well, I believe, but, you know, he wasn't trying to be profound. He just was, he was just saying stuff that he stabilized my life. He turned my life around, and he's the Savior, and he's the Lord, and oh, it was so good. And when I think Peter, when he said, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, it, it speaks to where we're at and gives commentary to our moment. No, we're not at Caesarea Philippi. We're, in our case, here in Chesterfield Valley. We weren't, we're not under Roman occupation, but America is almost like the Roman Empire. We're, we're not you know, in the kind of wars and rumors of wars they had, but we're in one in, in the Ukraine and one now in Israel, and we're seeing... Uh, uh, so much of the stresses come on society and we as followers of Jesus need to get anchored in the understanding of the why of why Jesus came, who he is, what he does, what he will do, and who he is in you. Colossians, the first chapter says, the mystery of the ages that's been hidden from the Gentiles but is now revealed to the church is summed up in this. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the promise of your future glorification. Jesus living on the inside of your earth suit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, your, your, the elderly and the young, new Christians and seasoned elder veterans all running the race, all persevering with God, all being obedient to the heavenly vision. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said when he comes back to it, it's gonna be without spot or blemish. That's why I so appreciate the communion uh, opportunity to get our attitudes and our hearts adjusted. But in fact, I, I wanna stay repentant 24 seven. Not sin conscious, but just I wanna keep pressing on in the development of my walk with God, right? I don't want to bear grudges. I don't want to harbor resentment. I don't want any toxicity. 
My wife and I, we, we, we're strong-willed, and we've been married over 45 years, and we, we went at it a lot, and, and, and we learned, thank you, we learned, she gets the credit, we learned that strife is not a good component in a healthy lifestyle. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon a quarrel before it begins. You know, we, we learned you can't suppress it or repress it and ignore it. You got to deal with stuff because you got to pick your fights. You got to fight fair. You got to fight for your marriage and not against each other. You got to be quick to repent, quick to forgive, quick to ask forgiveness. Take ownership on your part and uh, don't manipulate and believe God for a good outcome. And we also learned that there's something called the anointing that is priceless that wants to come on on clergy and laity on the entire body of Christ, on church as a body, on us as individuals. Remember I told you, I am a product of an individual Christian that wasn't a pastor who shared the gospel with me and I got saved and, and, and then when I went to church, I publicly made a declaration, they laid hands on me and I was wonderfully baptized in the Holy Spirit. I came out of that environment changed. 51 years later, I'm telling you, I feel brand new inside. I'm stronger, smarter, better looking than I ever was. My Everybody's laughing at me. My wife is saying, oh yeah, baby, whatever you want, whatever you think, whatever you think. Don't go to the, don't go to the eye doctor if you think that. All right. Anyway, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Jesus is building something big in you. Jesus is building his dream of the kingdom of God in and through each individual. The kids in children's church, they're in formation, they're developing. You, you and I, we train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. We who have raised children have had seasons where we watched them make choices that we didn't like or make choices that we were proud of or thankful for. But we know that incorruptible seed of the word of God is at work. His word is working mightily in our families. And we've got some of our grandkids here and I'm so excited. A lady just told me she is, has the same due date as Addison. And I'm so excited about that. Their, their kids are uh, asking mom, hey, can we have another uh, you know, kid? And they, she said, we'll pray about it. And like, Two seconds later, she was pregnant, so it's like, I said, I want to get on that kid's prayer list, but not to have more babies, but for other, for other things, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5, the title, the, the top of my New American Standard says, Results of Justification. Results of justification. God is results oriented. And in Genesis 3, he said, look, the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. Jesus came, 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the work of the evil one. And don't you forget it. It's not without contest. Persecution arises for the word's sake. Some of you guys, I'm preaching to hearts that are hurting. You've been through some stuff. I get it. I want to tell you, this is strengthening what, I'm, what you're about to hear. Jesus came, 1 John 3, 8, 
to destroy the works of the evil one. Other verses in Luke's gospel, Matthew and Mark, he came to seek and save that which is lost. John comes in later and he says, you must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who do men say that I am? Oh, John the Baptist. One guy was, he had been, he said, I was baptized a Christian and I'm a Christian Buddhist. Jesus came 2,500 years after Buddha. And, uh, you know, I think he's just an enlightened one. And actually, I don't think he said this. I don't think Jesus is that special. He said, uh, we all have the capacity to be enlightened. That, that is, it sounds like an interesting dream, but it's false doctrine. We can't, look, I got lost at sea. I couldn't save myself. I had to have somebody else pull me out of the ocean, right? Um, my biological father ordered a, an abortionist to come to their house came and he tried to abort me with my mother. My mother explained this to me later in her life. He came twice, failed. He had a third appointment and she said, I'm not going to do it. And she decided to have a baby. So that's, I, I didn't know anything. Of course, I was a fetus, but God, before he formed Jeremiah in the womb, he knew him. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. Whom he foreknew, he also did predestine to conform to the image of his son. He has a plan for each one of our lives. All our ethnicities, both our genders, all our ages, all the sequence of things we've experienced, all your hobbies, all your inclinations, all your diversity, all your interests. And he has a plan for you. And he came to destroy the work of the devil. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to establish his kingdom. He came to bring righteousness, peace, and joy. And in Romans chapter 5, let these words thunder into your spirit. Give attention to it just for a moment. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace. Jesus says, have you met my father? He's holy and sinless, and you've not been able to access him. But what I'm about to do is going to set you free where you're going to be seated with him in heavenly places. He's going to live inside you. I love what the J.B. Phillips translation, listen, he was an Anglican vicar. That means Church of Eng England. Modern America would call him an Episcopalian. He had, and I didn't know this till recently, a serious battle with clinical depression. Well, he was a pastor. Why would he feel that way? He just had issues. It means so much. It's my favorite paraphrase of all the paraphrases, and I've got a lot of them. There's a message Bible, living Bible, passion Bible. Those, those paraphrases are great. New Living Translation is more of a translation, thought for thought. I love the New American Standard because it's word for word. King James, I just listen to it every day. It's, it's line upon line. So awesome. The word of God is so awesome. But J.B. Phillips said this, since we've been justified by faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. John wrote 
the, the epistles and the gospel so that we might know we have eternal life. When I went to Bible school, the teacher said, you can have no so salvation. And I was, as I was listening to some of these interactions with the, as my study yesterday, I was listening to uh, the C.S. Lewis debate, uh, Mere Christianity, and I was, I was studying and listening, and, and, and these apologists are on there. And then there's this guy, and he's, you know, why some Christians are going to hell and all this stuff. And I thought, man, there's just so much. You just start going down those algorithms. That's why we've got to know what we know and believe what we believe. Because there, there are people that universally say, everybody's saved. There's nothing you have to do about it. Everything's easy breezy. And that's inconsistent with the Bible. And then, the, well, you never know if you can be born again. That's inconsistent with the Bible. We've gotta, when it gets down to it, we've got to go to the Bible. You say, well, but it's just so big, big and busy. And how do you interpret it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit as our teacher. And I'm trying to do the best I can to teach right, knowing that James 3 says, let not many of you be teachers, brethren, knowing that you'll incur a stricter judgment. I know that. I live under that. That's why Paul said, when I came to you, I came only to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So my preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So if, if you know what you're standing for, you won't fall for anything. You'll, having done all to stand, you'll stand. And you'll be so strengthened with might and so according to the word of God, and you'll understand who Jesus is. He, in fact, is the word made flesh. And let's grasp the fact that when somebody says, Jesus, be my Lord. There are even Christians saying, well, I challenge that. that that's not enough. That's not enough. What is enough? I'll tell you what's enough. When Jesus said it is finished, he might as well have said, this is enough. And his outstretched nail scar hands tell us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've got to, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, you walk in him. We stay obedient to him. I, I'm, I'm in my fifth decade with this, going into my sixth decade with this by the grace of God. And listen, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Boy, I rejoice. That's why we sing praises for the, God's goodness to us. But we don't just rejoice in this. We even have insight that God works things together for our good. Not only this, and this is what it says in the New American Standard here, we also exult in our tribulations. That's a little unclear to me, exult in our tribulations. So I looked and I saw, I think it was Moffat translation, says we triumph in our troubles. We triumph in our troubles. James chapter one says it very similarly. This is Paul the apostle. Some people think Paul and James had, were at odds with each other. Even Martin Luther didn't like the, the book of James. He called it a, an epistle of straw because it said that about justification and like faith without works and then faith with works. And he was trying to work some things out in his theological view. And, you know, I think James and Paul totally complement each other and they totally are right statements of different perspectives of the same truths that help us to bring balance. We judge scripture with scripture, right? And here's what it says. It says, we... we triumph in our troubles. James 1 says that we count it all joy when we encounter various temptations, tests, and trials, knowing that the testing of your faith 
produces something. Endurance. It's producing muscle. It's producing fortification. It's producing uh, uh, perseverance. Perseverance and hope is the anchor for your soul. In fact, here's what it says. It produces, in this verse, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And look at verse five. Hope does not disappoint. You're never gonna be disappointed by being an optimistic, realistic, optimistic Christian. You're never gonna feel bad about holding your head high and trusting God for a new day. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Did you hear that? Now listen, this goes into a contrast between Adam and the last Adam, and I'm already out of time. I only have one minute. So I'm gonna just be brief. When somebody, a pastor said, well, in conclusion, a little boy turned to his dad and said, what does in conclusion mean? And the guy said, absolutely nothing. Okay, so they had been at St. Louis Family Church. Verse six, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Tell you, you know when the rapture's gonna occur? At the right time. You know when the second coming is gonna occur? At the right time. You know that today is a day of salvation for each one of you? I see a woman holding a child. God has plans for that child and that woman. There's a woman over here carrying a baby. And my daughter, who's born within the same period of the birth of our church. I track our church by when I look at my youngest daughter, Addison, her husband, Steve. I think about we're in a birthing period. We've come through the global pandemic. We've come through so much stuff. This church is the life experiences we've had and God's allowed us to have to prepare us for this moment. It's absolutely amazing what God is doing. I'm so excited and I'm preaching for your stability, for your confidence, for your hopefulness. I'm preaching for a reminder that you get really calibrated and get focused on Jesus. I didn't talk to my wife about how I was gonna preach today, but her prophetic word about getting our eyes on Jesus and unlimited seeking equals unlimited finding. Let's just lift our hands just for a minute. You guys online, right where you're at, unless you're driving, then lift just one hand. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, thank you for Adam and the human existence that came from he and Eve. Thank you that though they blew it, Jesus restored it. Thank you, Jesus, for the new birth, for the kingdom of God, and for the joys of the future. Healing in the nations, wisdom in my own life, God's will be done in every step I take. Now I'm going to close with this contrast of Adam and Jesus. You ready? Listen, it says in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Sadly, that's Adam and Eve's legacy. And so death spread like cancer to the whole human race because all had sinned. And then it says in verse 14, there, there, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, 
who is a type of him who was to come. Bob Dylan, after he got saved, and I know the guy that talked to him about Jesus, he played mandolin in our meetings in California. He said in the song Saved, I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead before I stepped out of the womb. He said, by his grace, I've been touched. By his grace, I've been healed. I've been saved, you know. But he, that original sin causes a fall. It's Adam fell, but then Jesus is risen. It says that, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. See, Adam's offense, that he's a type of Jesus. Jesus is the last Adam. The fall messed everything up. That's why humanity and our human existence on earth isn't ideal. And no human, no matter how Vladimir Lenin or Karl Marx or any of the modern theorists think they could create a utopia, people that think we should reduce humanity by seven-eighths, you know, and just get down to one billion, that's a, that's, that's a satanic notion because he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. My Bible says be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The song is telling me I'm coming to a conclusion. Listen to verse 15. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, that's Adam and his death result, much more, everybody say much more, uh, did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. See, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, it says later. Look at verse, verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Wow. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, oh, thank God there's another hand. The free gift, everybody say free gift, arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Let's all stand up on our feet. Come on, hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let this bring affirmation into your spirit. We push past the shadows and when we receive communion, we acknowledge and affirm our utter need of the Lord. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going for, I'm telling you, there's more than enough of God's mercy and grace to cover your adult kid, your marriage, your, your, your job transition, whatever you're facing in your situation. Lift up your hands toward heaven. Say, I believe. I receive when I pray. I cast my burdens on the Lord and He sustains me. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is my Savior, my Redeemer, my Lord, my friend my companion throughout my days all the way to eternity amen
God bless you guys. Go out with joy. Have a great day.